This is the Watch Geek Time Podcast. Good afternoon, and thank you for tuning into Watch Geek Time. Oh, this is the WatchGeekTime.com podcast. It's a conversation about heritage, history, and why we're so hooked on horology. Sit back and relax because we're going to talk about everything from watches to watches. The WatchGeekTime.com podcast is recorded live on Saturdays from 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. Pacific Time. I am your host and in-house watch geek, Scott Goldman, on the boards as always is. It's Jody. How you doing, brother? I'm doing good. You have a good week? I did. It's been very busy. I mean, work's been work, but um, running around, just uh, moving, moving furniture. Still moving. Yeah, bits and pieces, but it's all good. You know, I, good. I always, uh, I've always said that once done moving, then one must do painting. <laughs> and I don't... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know that you've bashed into a number of walls. Right. I look over at your wrist today, my friend, and I see a beautiful Doxa yeah, the pocket Martin watch Braun. conversion into a Martin Braun beauty. It's great. And it's keeping perfect time because it is straight up one and a half, two minutes now past two. Mm. Very nice. Yeah. That's great. I have switched up a little bit today, Joe. Yeah, I you am, pulled out the Omega. That's a I'm great, wearing my Omega. timepiece. And you know what's really cool about this particular? It's a it's it's the fifteen thousand Gauss. But the coolest thing about the watch is that it's got the coaxial escapement in it. Okay. And I, I those who say uh, when they hold their Omega or their Rolex to their ears, they can't hear the ticking sound. But you you know when you can hear the ticking sound on a on a Rolex or an Omega. Uh-huh. If you've got your head down on a pillow and you've got your ear down, ear side down, and you yeah. put your watch underneath the pillow, yeah, you can hear the watch's amplitude perfectly. And it wouldn't sound like conventional. No, you'll hear tick, 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 tick. And on the Omega, you hear like, it's it's like a it's like a whooshing sound. Interesting. Very interesting. Wow. Actually, it was funny. I saw a blog, um, and it was uh, George Daniels uh, going over his coaxial uh, movement. It was interesting. It's a great piece of business, isn't it? Yeah, and and the amount of different versions he had to uh, create until uh, Omega jumped on it. Well, you know, it's funny because uh, a lot of people saw its genius but didn't want to even go near it because the Swiss lever escapement, you know, you're going up against... 250 years of tradition, Mm. maybe more. Anyways, hey, today's brand focus, we're going to revisit one of the three Swiss crown jewels, Vacher and Constantine. Yeah. You like them. Lots to get to today. We're going to talk about the new arrivals from therealreal.com. I think we got, what, five, six, seven, eight of them? They're pricey this week. Mm. We've got watch geek terms. Of course, what else but daylight savings time? Why wouldn't we talk about... Daylight savings time. Why? Why do we do this? Not why do we talk about it, but why do we move the clock yeah. around? But we first have the email. So, Jody. Yeah, the first one here comes from uh, Jason Marks from New York City. And Jason writes, India, Scott and Jody, I'm now much a collector of timepieces and I listen to your show. I have heard the, the terms amplitude 
Wow. And dial up and dial down. My question is in regards to the testing of old, older watch movements. What do these terms mean? Mm, okay, so in terms of the testing of movements in general, Jason, essentially amplitude is the swing of the balance wheel past its neutral point. So if you were to look at a balance wheel on a watch, it's moving back and forth very quickly. But it does have a center point, so it's very, very quickly back and forth. Uh, it's the measure of the vigor with which a mechanical watch impulses the tick-tock action of its, of its escapement. So amplitude has a lot to do with the hairspring and the way that that balance wheel is swinging back and forth. Now, in general, a healthy watch features an amplitude of 270 to 300 degree uh, swing range. Ring la a Rolex, for example, recommends no less than 275 degrees. So that means that the balance wheel swings one way, 275 degrees, and then it swings back the other way, 275 mm -hmm. degrees. So not the full 360, right? Because right. then it would get stuck on something. Yeah. Right. That's why it looks like, by the way, Jody, the hairspring is breathing. Expanding, it's a, retracting, and, and, yeah. Exactly yeah. right. Now, when the amplitude falls below 250 degrees, this is suboptimal. And a reading below 230 generally requires a full service be done to that watch. Now, up and down. Low amplitude usually develops when a watch's lubricants have lost their uh, their viscousness. So think about like when you spray. Oh, and it creates resistance. Exactly. Right. So it'll cause the watch to run slower. Uh, down. That's what we call down. The dial down. Dial down. Okay. So when the watch, or and, and that's also has to do with the fact that when we're measuring time, what does the watch measure when we have dial down? Okay. So right now you can see I've got my dial down towards the desk. Oh, what is the okay. watch doing right now as opposed to dial with, up with the forces of correct gravity. and there's also as we've talked about a chronometer which has to be tested in all different positions Position. yeah so um in time the amplitude of deferred maintenance watches will fail so getting to your question about vintage watches mm. jason a watch that has a low amplitude will eventually fail the watch will stop so I think that's your question has to do with how to maintain the value and functional excellence of one of these watches. It's to get it, the watch serviced. If it exhibits low amplitude, you've got to get it serviced. Got to have it serviced by a certified watchmaker. I think Jody will jump in with Josh Croman. Croman Josh Croman. <laughs> we'll get in there in a second. But uh, if you want it to be a beautiful heirloom, not only for yourself, but your heirs, you got to have that thing serviced. Just a... Uh question from me scott yeah. just on that subject um so if they've got a vintage uh movement there and they're, they're monitoring all that before they like they're assessing it mm -hmm. and um where it's failing mm -hmm. how do they actually measure that like so what 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 are they using to see what the angle is of that sweep of the uh the balance wheel Oh, well, the watch. Is there a computer you, you, these days? Well, now there's a computer that can actually measure the swing, sure. But the watchmaker himself, he can tell by the way that the wheel spins to drive the lever escapement one side or the other. So he knows exactly the amplitude. Okay. As he's. And he, keep in mind, 
he can he can drag it a little bit so it's not he can know exactly how far over it's going to swing i was showing you the atmos clock right before the show and how that that quote pendulum like if you think about a pendulum going tick 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 going back and forth that's the amplitude of the pendulum yeah when you think about that uh the pendulum over there in the in the atmos clock you can see that it's rotating all the way 295 degrees one way before it makes its way back the other way. Right. And the difficulty in measuring that one's amplitude is it picks up momentum yeah. as it's turning. So, yeah. oh, it's complicated unless you can look at it. I'll put them up on the website. What's the next question? Okay. Next question is uh, from uh, Billy Folsom from uh, Lake Charles, Louisiana. And uh, Billy writes in Dear Scott and Jody, I have a vintage Hamilton... Um, pocket watch that was converted into a wristwatch long ago like yours the original strap has all but disintegrated and mm. i have been unable to find a strap to match this one do you have any suggestions uh i guess if they were personalized too in some i way. i guess if you wanted something really custom there's a bunch of places on the internet where you can type custom watch strap there's also strap for time they're a great outfit but I doubt you're going to find something that matches what you had. Uh, so you would have to just do your own. Yeah, you'd have to. You'd have to do your own. You know, our buddy oh, Jonathan is Jonathan is making his own straps these days. So oh yeah, okay, cool. You've seen manufacturers who oh, on on the web. I have you know in searching around, I've found ones where they they do. You can order sort of custom ones, I guess. Well, yeah, but they're expensive. I mean, you know, there's always this fine line between... I'll tell you what, Billy. If you want something truly custom and you want it to be exactly like what you have, you could spend two to maybe $400. You'll have exactly what you want. Mm. But just keep in mind, you'll have to spend two to $400. So there's a fine line between wanting something and being willing to have a budget for it. Okay, and the the third and final one here is from... uh, Jeffrey, uh, Jerry Rapf from uh, Long Beach. Jerry writes in Dear Scott and Jody, this weekend we're supposed to set our clocks back an hour. What is your feeling about daylight savings and t- light time in general? <laughs> I, like, I, I like it when we set the clock back an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I like daylight savings time a lot when the clock goes back like it does tonight. But I mean, that, that, that originated from the uh, harvest, didn't it? Well, it, it, it has partially to do with the harvest. Thank, uh, th- thank the idea of having Wikipedia at our fingertips because today we will talk about why mm. we've got uh, daylight savings time. My feelings are I like it when I set the hour back. My, my don't like it when I set the hour forward. Right. But I tell you what, Jerry, we're going to talk more about that a little bit later in the show. If you've got questions or comments, please email us, scott at watchgeektime.com or jody at watchgeektime.com. You can also tweet us on the Twitter, at watchgeektime. I I do my best to respond to everybody, but what I really am just having you do is take a picture of your wrist, uh, whatever it is you're wearing, give it the hashtag W-A-Y-W-T, what are you wearing today? Hashtag W-A-Y-W-T. Give me a brand and a reference. You can even say I want to sell it. (laughs) (laughs) 
Instagram.com slash WatchGeekTimePicksPIX. You'll find all the goodies we talk about on the show. Also, WatchGeekTime.com. And as I see Jody reaching for the board, I, I, you're, you're saying to stretch, but I'm, I'm just going to give us the out here, okay? All right. WatchGeekTime.com podcast is a conversation about heritage, history, and why we're hooked on horology. It's the WatchGeekTime.com podcast. Stay with us. What does your watch say about you? Right now it's saying you could have more money in your pocket. You see, the real real, the world's finest seller of authentic luxury items, can help you sell any fine watch that you're ready to move on. Our master watchmakers and horologists will give you a free quote. There's no obligation to consign, but if you do, you could make twice as much as through other watch resellers. Learn more and earn more at therealreal.com/radio. That's therealreal.com/radio. Farmers presents 15 seconds of smart. So you want to drive more safely. Stop eating. Take deep breaths. Avoid bad weather. Get eight hours. Turn it down. And of course, talk to farmers. Hi. Hi. We are farmers. And now, here's the watch geek, Scott Goldman. Welcome back to Watch Geek Time. We do the show on Saturdays between the hours of 2 p.m. and 3 p.m. Pacific Time. I am your host and resident watch fetish clown, Scott Goldman on the boards as always is. It's Jody. You know what? Hey, what? If you live in the San Jose area and you need your watch service, go see Josh Croman over at Croman Watchworks. I'll do it. Josh is a master watchmaker and he's... Service shop specializes in servicing high-end watches such as Rolex, Patek Philippe, and Audemars Piguet. And Josh is one of the very few certified in servicing of Omega's line of coaxial movement watches. It's what I'm wearing. It is. It is. <laughs> That's Chrome and Watchworks in San Jose, California. Photographs of the watches we mention on the show can be found on Instagram. That's Instagram.com slash WatchGeekTimePicks, P-I-X. So, uh, what we do every week is we have a great sponsor, therealreal.com. That's therealreal.com. We like to talk about the new arrivals. I found about six or seven I liked a lot, Jody. So, first one up, Admar Piquet, Edward Piquet, Turbillon. Nice. I like so, it. so, that's what they call a Torno case. So, it's rectangular, slightly curved. Yeah. This one's in 18 karat white gold. It's beautiful. Full retail on the watch is $132,000. Wow. Yeah. At the real real, 52950 Oh, look at the back of that. 
Gorgeous, right? Wow. Okay, I didn't realize the tourbillon was, you could see straight through that. Straight through that. So going back to the front side picture, you could actually see your wrist right through here. Right. Because it's exposed fully. But yeah, the, the back, is that the mainspring? Yeah, so you see, the that's the, so that's the, well, what you're seeing is the master cylinder on the top. So it's almost laid out like a baguette movement, which is considered top to bottom. Right. Yeah. Good eye, Jody. Yeah, that's nice. I like that. 52950 more than 50% off the full retail price. I'd like to say that's the bargain of the day, but I hate to put the words bargain in 52950 <laughs> Next, we have the newest and latest and greatest Rolex Cosmograph. That's nice. That's really pretty. Now, this is the, this is the new one with the... Is that a blued glass? It's, it's a blued dial. It's the dial, not the, the dial the is crystal? blue. The crystal is the clear. Oh, you're right. It is yeah, the uh, dial. Yeah. yeah. But what's really slick about this one is the new ceramic bezel, which has the uh, the yeah. numbers are are done with platinum, and it's all baked. <laughs> so this entire dial is actually what they call uh, platinum. The, the blue platinum, and it's good. this is a platinum watch with a platinum bracelet. So you can imagine how heavy this particular watch is. They, they, don't, they don't make a lot of these in platinum. Mm. Uh, originally, the watch was probably seventy-five dollars to $80,000 if you could find it. The Real Real has it for $51,000. Again, I'd like to say it's the bargain of the day. Yeah. But the words bargain and 51 grand don't usually... Okay, next, we've got a Hublot Big Bang Ferrari Special. Mm, I like that strap. I like the dial. Look at that, like, open-worked, honeycomb-like dial. Oh, yeah. So you can see the entire workings of the watch. And again, Hublot is the master of putting material uh, amalgam... Uh, taking materials and amalgamating them together. So you've got this titanium and ceramic watch with a black rubber, black rubber strap, mm. right? Yeah. Now this one, again, I don't want to say it's the, the bargain of the day at 11250 but this watch was over $21,000 full retail. What's the back of the watch like? Let's go yeah. there. You can see the rotor. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, that's... You can see... Yeah. Yeah. And you can see actually the rotor takes up the whole back side of the watch. Yeah, it's like it's, a spoke wheel. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Very nice. It's a chronograph, so if you need a expensive way to time things, this is the way. Next, we have a Cartier Bayonne blue watch in 18 karat white gold. Now, why do I like this watch? I think this is probably one of the most masculine what I'll call tuxedo watches that Cartier makes. Mm. Now, originally this watch sold for about $18,000. But at more than 50% off, or 7495 this is the realreal.com bargain of the week. Yeah. I love this watch. I'm not a fancier of gold myself. Last name Goldman, enough gold for anybody. But a watch like this in platinum would definitely have my attention. You know, Scott, how long have they been uh, encasing the crown inside the the casing there the way they sort of bulge it out and sort of cover it like that is that a, a that is a uh the dna of the balloon blue line 
And that's been around. A long that's time. been around since they since this line, line. of of watches has been uh, okay. offered. So this is part of the design where the the bezel sticks itself out a little bit at three o'clock to in, encompass the crown. Right. Yeah. One thing that's always true about Cartier is the stone that you always find on right. the top of the crown. Yeah. Usually a ruby. Okay. Or an emerald. Sometimes a diamond. Mm. Yeah, I have seen that. Cool, right? Next is a ladies' watch. It's the Fabergé Anastasia watch. And I'll tell you, the reason I love this is because, first of all, it's got a quartz movement, which every ladies' watch really should have because women think of their watches more as jewelry, and they might set them down in a drawer for four or five days, and they want it to still be running when they Mm -hmm. pick it up. This one has an array of uh, brilliant diamonds, pair, pair brilliant diamonds, Round, brilliant, orange, yellow, blue, and pink sapphires. And round, brilliant, peridot carrots of emeralds and amethysts all the way around. I love this watch. Now, again, I'm not going to say bargain of the day on this one. We already said that about the Cartier. But this watch, new, sells for... Trying to get down to it. Get down to it. This watch is a fifteen thousand dollar new watch, five thousand nine ninety five wow. at the real real. That could be the bargain of the day. It could be, if you're looking for a gift. But this is really a fabulous. Mm. You'd be yeah. the envy of all the girls. Next is Jody's. Yeah, I like this one. This is the Rolex Milgal. The good old Milgals. Ready to ship for four thousand eight hundred ninety five dollars. This one looks like it's brand new. So the grade on this is is definite grade four. It almost looks brand new. It's in perfect shape. I don't see a mark on the bezel. This watch new is about seventy six hundred dollars. I like the yeah the the, the second hand yeah. there yeah the lightning bolt second hand. Oh, sorry, there, mate. It's okay. But um, yeah, and it's got the bottle green uh, crystal. No, that one does not. That one does not have the green oh. crystal. So they had two they had two models when they originally released. This one and the same watch in a white dial. Yeah. And then another a third with a grayish dial and a greenish crystal. Okay, yeah. So there were yeah. three originally. Yeah. And last on the hit parade and I had to bring this up because oh, yeah. it's so unusual. It's a Bell & Ross Compass watch. That's neat, right? Yeah. So it, this one's actually 18 karat rose gold, $3,995. Really great value considering the metal. Uh, and a really great value considering the watch was almost $14,000 new. So you can imagine that at $3,995, it qualifies at least as the second bargain of the mm. day. Uh, it's 46 by 46, which is reminiscent of all Bell & Ross watches because they are... Their DNA comes from the instruments from an airplane. That's what I was going to say. It's, it's it, it has that DNA. Definitely. It look, well, it looks like it almost looks like the Horizon. Right. Uh, almost all the watches look like they have the Horizon instrument. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this one will not ship immediately. I just want to put a note on that. But it is really a great bargain. And let's look at the backside, shall we, Jody? Hmm. Oh, that's not the backside. There it is. Okay, so it's it's not see through. It's a covered the, back. Yeah, the back is is not uh, exhibition. 
It is the BR01-92S, and it has an automatic movement. Beautiful. It looks new. I mean, that strap even looks new. Almost brand new. Yeah. So if you're interested in anything we talked about and anything we didn't, be sure to check out therealreal.com. Whether you are looking to purchase or looking to consign some luxury goods, therealreal.com is the place. And the Real Real Brick and Motor location in the Soho section of Manhattan officially opens this coming Friday, November 10th. The address is 80 Wooster Street, smack dab between Broadway and 6th. Jody, I get the message. <laughs> WatchGeekTime.com podcast. Please listen to these messages. We'll be right back. At Farmers, we make you smarter about your insurance because what you don't know can hurt you. What if you didn't know that taking pictures of your belongings helps when you have a claim? Nice. Or that Farmers offers a policy that'll replace your car with a new one if it's totaled within the first two model years. And that parking near a street lamp deters thieves. The more you know, the better you can plan for what's ahead. Talk to Farmers and get smarter about your insurance. We are Farmers. Bum, 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 bum. There is a watchmaking standard that is revered around the world. That standard comes from Rolex. From clasp to bracelet to its unique watertight oyster case, a Rolex holds its value because it was intended to. Crafted from just three precious metals, platinum, steel, and gold, each defies the ordinary. Its steel, 904L, virtually indestructible and corrosion resistant, is incomparable. Its patented Everose Gold, created in an exclusive foundry, will remain beautiful for life. Inside, a genuine Rolex movement is a product of superiority and remarkable testing. It is unrivaled. At Rolex, flawless standards create more than a watch. They create a value that was meant to endure. For a complete selection of Rolex timepieces, visit your official Rolex jeweler. Available at Lux Bond and Green Jewelers, Westport, Greenwich, and other locations throughout Connecticut and Massachusetts, where every box has a story. What does your watch say about you? Right now, it's saying you could have more money in your pocket. You see, the real real, the world's finest reseller of authentic luxury items, can help you sell any fine watch that you're ready to move on. Our master watchmakers will give you a free quote. There's no obligation to consign, but if you do, you could make up to 85% commission, twice as much as through other watch resellers. Learn more and earn more at therealreal.com slash radio. That's therealreal.com slash radio. Rolex, Patek Philippe, Jaeger Lecoultre, Omega, Cartier, Breguet, and just about any other watch brands that come to mind. This is the Watch Geek Time Podcast. A man came up to me and asked me what the time was that was on my watch. Yeah, I said. Does anybody really know what time it is? Does anybody really care? Welcome back to Watch Geek Time. What the hell are you saying to me? <laughs> What's the, the material on your Omega? So, the, the watch itself is stainless steel. Mm. And the parts are milled mostly, I'm told, out of nickel. 
Okay. So the watch itself, the parts in the watch itself are not magnetized, cannot be magnetized. Right. Which is why this is a 15,000 Gauss, Gauss watch, which is way more than anything. I mean, and what's really, I think, special about this particular Omega is that, first of all, it's it, it was the last to bear the name coaxial on the dial. Now they all say master coaxial. Oh, okay. So it's yeah. it, it's a first generation. And it, I, I, I would love for anybody who listens to, to go ahead and Google the, the term coaxial escapement because George Daniels, as we were, right. we were uh, relishing earlier, you know, he went around and tried to sell this amazing invention to just about everybody and only Omega understood really what they were looking at. Mm. So now just about every Omega watch you buy has a master coaxial yeah. escapement. But it was also like the finish on it. I mean, the, the, the polish on that's beautiful. Oh, they did a great job. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, w- one more time, I just want to make sure we make mention of the realreal.com. They have a new brick and mortar location in the Soho section of Manhattan. It officially opens this coming Friday, November 10th. The address is 80 Wooster Street, smack dab between Broadway and 6th. That's right. Just near the C.J. Yao Art Gallery. Check them out. Great little place. Yeah. Bring your stuff in there. They'll appraise it on the spot. So, Jody, as I was telling you, we're going to revisit one of Swiss's crown jewels, Vacheron Constantine. I always remember we talked about that pocket watch, the Vacheron, that... That baseball. Yeah. That baseball pocket watch. That monster of a... You know? Complication. It's got a... It's even got the Hebrew calendar perpetual yeah. in it. It seems incredible. Uh, the company's motto is founded in 1755 on an island in Lake Geneva. And still there. The other Swiss crown jewels are Audemars Piquet. Georges Lecou. Nope. No. Patek Philippe. Should be George, should be Georges Lecoult, but they'd be the fourth crown jewel. Yeah. I don't know what to tell you. Anyways, Vacheron Constantine was actually originally created by Jean-Marc Vacheron, and his watches were world-renowned for being highly complicated and fitted with beautifully engine-turned dials. That was his trademark. So if you look at a Vacheron today, you'll notice that the dials are even to this day hand-turned. Vacheron's customers were emperors, dukes, popes, and like so many of the other stories we've heard about the great watchmakers, it was Vacheron's son, Abraham, who took over the family business in 1785 and somehow managed to keep the company alive despite the French Revolution, which didn't end for at least another 15 years in 1799. Mm. So this was when a lot of companies saw their demise. Then in 1810, as is often the case, the nepotism continued through to Jean-Marc's grandson, Jacques Vacheron, who took over the company and was the first to initiate exports to England, Italy, and other parts of Europe. Jacques quickly realized he would not be able to handle all the demand alone, and in order to travel and sell the company's products, he would require a partner. So around 1820, Francois Constantine became an associate of Jacques and eventually a partner leading to the new company name of Vacheron Constantine in 1825. 
1833, the firm hired Georges Lechot, an inventor whose only job it was to supervise manufacturing operations. And as it turned out, his impact not only helped Vacher and Constantine achieve great success, Lechot's maverick approach to standardizing watch movements into calibers indeed had great impact on the entire watchmaking industry. So let's think about that for a second. It was Lechot who standardized watch movements into calibers. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. The pantograph, often thought of as Lechot's greatest invent- invention for the brand, allows for the mechanical engraving of small watch parts and dials. The invention pushed Vacher and Constantine much further forward than almost all the other makers at the time. Right. <clears throat> when Constantine passed in 1854 and Vacheron passed just nine, nine years later in 1863, the company was taken over by a series of heirs, including two women, one from Vacheron's side of the family, the other from Constantine's side of the family. Today, Vacheron Constantine is still family-run and is one of the Richemont's flagship brands. So, like Cartier, IWC, Panerai, not Breguet, Breguet belongs to Swatch, Uh, Georges Lecoultre, Long and Sohn, they all belong to Richemont. Yes, sir. VC, as is, it is fondly referred to by watch collecting purists, is credited with and has patented, patented a multitude of watchmaking firsts. Now, speaking of my Milgauss, Vacheron made the first fully non-magnetic timepiece that included an escape lever, balance wheel, and balance spring made of an alloy we now call palladium. Okay. So they were the first. It was right around this time that the company adopted the Maltese cross as a symbol of its absolute commitment to excellence in watchmaking. VC became a leading provider of watch movements to prestigious brands, including Fabergé, whose third imperial egg housed a Vacheron Constantine ladies' watch as the surprise. It is also worth mentioning that Vacheron Constantine had an 80% ownership in Georges Lecoultre. Wow. Yep. As mentioned, today the company is wholly owned by the Richemont Group who brought who bought the firm from a Saudi sheik back in 1996. And while VC doesn't make their production numbers public, they are currently producing about 20,000 timepieces a year. In 2005, Johann Rupert, who is the chairman and CEO of the Richemont brand, named Juan Carlos Torres as Vacheron Constantine's head honcho. During his tenure, Torres has overseen the creation, execution, and delivery of the world's most complicated timepieces, including the Tour de Lille, (laughs) a timepiece made to mark the firm's 250th anniversary. This highly coveted piece is comprised of 834 parts and contains 16 horological complications. There were only 12 made. They were only available through the boutiques, and they sold for $1 million a piece. All 12 were (laughs) pre-sold. And to this day, not a single one's come up for auction, so that can give you an idea of how much these pieces are coveted. In 2015, to commemorate the manufacturer's 260th anniversary, 
VC revealed the world's most complicated mechanical timepiece, simply known as reference 57260. At the request of one of Vacheron Constantine's top clients, three watchmakers set about making the 57 complication housed marvel. 57 complications. And that took them years to... Eight. 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 Years. Eight years to complete, and the private collector paid almost $20 million, we're told. So I can only imagine what oil field he owns. One thing that's very interesting about the brand is the influence of Gerald Genta can be seen on a multitude of VC timepieces, including the famed VC-222, which actually housed a Jaeger LeCoultre caliber, which was built exclusively for the 222. Wow. So what can we say? I mean, I just think they're stunning timepieces. They're one of those brands that people haven't, really always heard of mm. um but founded on an island in the middle of the geneva lake yeah and still there it's a nation i like them i like the, they're beautiful their, aren't they? their whole dna and it looks great yeah if you look carefully at the dna of the watch you will see it from all all the way from their highest end watches that sell for upwards of three hundred thousand dollars all the way down to their Entry-level watches that are just around ten grand, mm. Very fine-finished, hand-turned dials all the time. Yeah. Uh, you think about it. Richemont owns some pretty amazing brands. Yeah. That's true. Long & Sona, Basher & Constantine, Georges Lecoult, IWC. These are innovators and in mm. watchmakers. These are, these are These are people who know what they're doing. Yeah. Anyways. Well... We got through that in a, a little bit of a hurry there. I'm going to let, I tell you what, our watch geek term today is daylight savings time. So I tell you what, we'll dive in. I see you stretching me out again. I want that Magnum Fox. Oh, you do? <laughs> oh, you're not stretching me out. You're reaching for the board. I will get you a Magnum Vox. It's called yeah. a Mem, it's a Memavox, but maybe, Memavox. You've, maybe you've renamed it. Hey, it's the WatchGeekTime.com podcast. We're going to step aside for one more set of commercials when we come back. Daylight savings time. All right? What does your watch say about you? Right now, it's saying you could have more money in your pocket. You see, the real real, the world's finest seller of authentic luxury items, can help you sell any fine watch that you're ready to move on. Our master watchmakers and horologists will give you a free quote. There's no obligation to consign. But if you do, you could make twice as much as through other watch resellers. Learn more and earn more at therealreal.com slash radio. That's therealreal.com slash radio. At Farmers, we've seen almost everything, so we know how to cover almost anything. Even a UFH2O. That's not good. That's not good. That's really not good. It happened August 14th, 2008, and we covered it. Talk to farmers. We know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. This is the Watch Geek Time Podcast. I don't care what consequence it brings. 
I love that song, Jody. Mm. Classic. That's the one I want. Yeah. And Anderson, a Sven Anderson just came up. That's a Thomas Pressure. That's also a Turbion on a stick. <laughs> There's the Ulysses Arden. We're looking at my screensaver. <laughs> Welcome back to Watch Geek Time. Watch Geek Time Daylight Savings Time. Anybody want to know why we do Daylight Savings Time? I'm glad you asked. It's abbreviated DST. Daylight Savings Time is the method of advancing all timekeepers during the summer months so that the evening daylight lasts longer. Right? Seems to still be an inconvenience to everyone. It's annoying. Yeah. And you said it was for farming, I think. It originated from that. I believe that was one of the driving factors. But as you said, this, of course, ends up disrupting normal sunrise times in just about every country on the planet. <laughs> and everything's offset. Everybody, and yeah. nobody changes at the same time anymore. So regions that observe daylight savings time adjust clocks forward one hour near the start of spring, hence the term spring forward. Hmm. And then we adjust them back an hour in the fall, or fall back, if you will, like we're going to do tonight. Right. What I like to do, Jody, as you know, because you've walked around the studio, all the clocks have already been set back an hour. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. I did that Thursday. I do adjust my GMT and my... Uh... Yeah, there's a lot you have yeah. to do. I mean, take some time. But we, we get to think a guy named George Hudson... He was a New Zealand entomologist who first proposed the idea of DST back in 1895, but it was the German and Austrian empires that organized the first implementation in April of 1916. Since then, many countries have used DST for a variety of reasons, including the energy crisis of the 1970s. Mm. Now, as we already talked about, the practice of daylight savings time has its critics, and it also has some early opponents. They claimed it could affect people's health. In fact, in some cases, DST can disrupt complicated timekeeping systems, including everything from travel to medical devices. Yeah, that's, that's right. True. And now everything's got to be set to time like our mobile phones. And because DST is not 100% adopted by every region on the planet, the actual date and time in certain places can get confusing. So, most humans follow a clock-based schedule, right? Yeah. But does all of the states follow it or is it... it Arizona know? makes it easy. I understand they don't change it. But there might be another state. I don't know. But I know Arizona for sure. Okay. I think people change it back and forth. The schedule that we all live on does not change throughout the course of a year. Yeah. We still get up at 7 a.m. We still... 6 a.m. Whatever time. This would include the time of day an individual begins and ends their work, for example, which is coupled with the coordination of mass transit, hmm. the schedules of said transit, and in our society, our daily routines are more likely governed by the amount of daylight. So we're typically working during daylight hours, right. or what many of us refer to as solar time. Solar time changes seasonally, right? Yeah. Because of our tilt in relation to the sun and different parts of the earth have different seasonal changes with the sun. Right. So by synchronizing all the clocks in a region one hour ahead, people will wake an hour earlier than they would normally have otherwise, but then they'll have an extra hour of daylight after their workday is done. Right. 
Okay. That's but. the only part I like. Well, I, <laughs> you know what? I think the whole thing's terrible, but we'll move on. As the seasons change, the sunrise and sunset times change routinely at the same rate. Advocates for daylight savings time argue most people prefer more daylight hours after a long day of work. Well, that would be my cohort here. Yeah. The same advocates have argued DST promoted energy conversa- uh, conservation by reducing the need for lighting and heating. I like that. Mm. I'll go with that. Location matters for those who observe or don't observe DST. Moving the clock ahead or back an hour at higher latitudes in places like Alaska or Iceland has no impact on daily life because the length of the day changes dramatically throughout the seasons. Yeah. Regions closer to the poles have sunrise and sunset times significantly out of phase with standard working hours, DST notwithstanding. Similarly, DST is of little use for regions near the equator, as these regions see small variation in daylight during the year. So you can see where locations that are farther east benefit more from DST than those in the western part of the same time zone. DST annoys me. And we're in the western part of the time zone. Yeah. Although ancient civilizations did not attach their schedules to the time of day in the way that we think about it, they did in fact adjust their daily schedules to the sun, often dividing the day into 12-hour halves, regardless of actual sunlight. The Romans, for example, had clocks that used water to tell time, and they utilized different scales for different months of the year. They were very clever. Mm. We can all credit Benjamin Franklin with the phrase, early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. It's bullshit. Ben wrote this as a reaction to the Parisians economizing on candles by getting up earlier. Remember, Parisians are very thrifty people, mostly. As part of Richard's almanac, he satirized the proposed taxing of window shutters, rationing candles, and waking the Parisian public by ringing church bells and firing cannons at sunrise. But despite common misconception, Franklin did not actually propose daylight savings time. And to be sure, by the 18th century... Europe did not even keep precise schedules. They don't do it today either. So how did the ships go out there in the waters and then countries are changing their times? True. And they'd roll into harbour and they're <laughs> they they're an hour smash late. on the rocks. <laughs> You're right. They didn't know their they didn't know their longitude. Yeah. Of course this soon changed as rail transport and shipping transport came to bear with communication networks requiring a standardization of time. Many publications credit DST proposal to the prominent outdoorsman William Willett, who claims to have independently conceived daylight savings time in 1905 during a a pre-breakfast ride, when he observed with dismay how many Londoners slept through a large part of a summer day, and he was an avid golfer, and he disliked cutting short his round at dusk. So he thought he came up with it. He didn't. Broadly speaking, daylight savings time was abandoned in many years after the war. So Canada, the UK, France, and Ireland don't observe it. The UK does now, but they stopped after the war. It was brought back for periods of time in many different places during the following decades and commonly during World War II. And as I mentioned earlier, it was widely adopted in North America and in particular in the 70s, as a result of the energy crisis. Yeah. I was a young lad. I remember my my mother uh, getting a very fuel-efficient car. 
There are some places that don't observe, Jody, as we mentioned. Uh, there's some small countries. They've repealed it. They don't want to change it. I know Arizona doesn't like it. Yeah. Arizona likes to say they keep it easy. Give me some shout-outs, buddy. Yeah, Matt, George, Leo, and, of course, Judy. Very nice. Yeah. Watch Geek, shout-out to Jeff and his lovely wife, who are now safely in Virginia. Jeff, we get together next week. Looking forward to it. My neighbors, the best people I know, Jamie, Susan, the Smoots, my friends at One Source, Tara from Feld Direct, Antoine Macedo from Antoine Macedo in Paris, George, Diane, and Dylan out there in Woodland Hills, the high-tech Texan, Yelena and Luis from EM Therapeutics, and my uncle. Miss you, buddy. Thanks again to our sponsors, TheRealReal.com, and, of course, we are farmers. dum 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 Thank you, David. And thank you, Sergey. Last but not least, thanks to my watch geek wingman, Jody. You're welcome. Good to have you back, mate. It's a conversation about heritage, history, and why we're all hooked on horology. It's the WatchGeekTap.com podcast. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.